Welcome to the Practice Purchased Podcast, where you'll learn everything you need to know to buy the perfect dental practice, all for free, and all in less than 20 minutes an episode. Learn more about your host, author, presenter, and coach to hundreds of successful dental practice buyers by visiting brianhanks.com. Welcome to the Practice Purchase Podcast, Season 1, Episode 10. We're talking about how to calculate how much money you'll make if and when you buy your dental practice. This is the fun stuff, all right? <laughs> Finding a practice, picking your account, and analyzing the practice, that stuff's boring. Uh, get the pinky in your mouth because we're going to talk about millions and millions of dollars right now. We're talking about how to project your income. Um, the the common phrases I hear out in the dental transitions world amongst brokers and on paperwork and things, if you hear them, if you hear the words income projection or cash flow projection, they all mean the same thing. It just means a way to try to guess how much money you're going to make as a practice owner. Um, in fact, some brokers out there will only provide a cash flow projection to you uh, to try to entice you to submit an LOI. That's something we'll talk about in a few uh, episodes from now. Um, you know, the key principle to remember for this episode is that this ep the, the keyword, right? If this is Sesame Street, word of the day for episode 10 is assumptions, okay? Uh, this topic is fraught with assumptions. There are a lot of assumptions being made that get you to an answer you can feel comfortable with. Um, I was talking to my brother-in-law the other day, and we were joking about how many times uh, we've made ourselves millionaires on paper and in Excel spreadsheets. And so, uh, yes, I'm going to teach you some of the basics, and we're going to talk about how to reasonably project how much money you're going to make as a business owner. But, but, don't forget that these are assumptions, okay? So today's episode, uh, this episode has four main points. Uh, point number one is that past performance is the best predictor of your future and the future income. Uh, point number two is to make sure to project on your income, not the prior owner. Point number three is that you will be wrong. <laughs> We're gonna, I'll teach you why and why it's actually not a problem, but you will be wrong. And then uh, point number four is to give yourself a margin of safety as you do some of these calculations, okay? Okay, point number one, past performance is the best predictor of future performance. So financial results of any dental practice are simply an amalgamation or a reflection of human nature at work, okay? Um, think about everything that's happening in a dental practice. Patients coming in, staff helping them, you doing the work on the patients. Everything at play is, at heart, human behavior. And when a transition takes place, when a seller sells a dental practice to a buyer, to you, think about what's different. Okay, obviously, the doctor's different. You're different. There's a new owner in. So yes, the treatment planning is going to be a little bit different. The philosophy is going to be a little different. Presumably, you as the buyer are younger, maybe slower than the seller. Um, you know, you, maybe you're not as confident presenting cases. And so there are some differences. But think for a second. And this is the key point about... Um, uh, past behavior. But think about what's not changing, okay? There are a lot of things not changing. Uh, the patient, the patient's patterns of behavior aren't changing, right? Their propensity to accept treatment planning at its fundamental level is the same. Um, all of the things about the practice, the reviews, the demographics are all the same. Uh, same with the staff, right? The, the staff isn't changing, presumably. 
uh, at least immediately, probably, and this is a, a tangent, probably they'll change um, within their first year of ownership. But, you know, how they answer the phones, how they handle recall, how they bill patients, all the same. Think about the costs and the revenues of the practice. Yeah, I mean, the costs, like uh, what bills come in, who the reps are, who, you know, the equipment rep that shows up to the office, this is, this is all the same, okay? So the point that I'm trying to make is that more about the practice is similar and the same in a transition than you fear that it's going to be. Chances are that you have an overinflated sense of importance and an overinflated, overinflated sense of fear in terms of what you need to be scared of in a transitions, uh, in a transition, because patients don't care as much as you fear that they do about you taking over for a seller. Will it matter to some patients? Absolutely. Will you lose some patients as a result of the transition? Unquestionably. Will you see a mass exodus and go into bankruptcy and um, <laughs> end up in a van down by the river eating government cheese? No, you almost certainly will not. So. Um, be cognizant, be aware. Um, but the, the practical point here is use past pr practice performance to predict the future behavior and of the financials. Okay. Specifically do two things. Look at last year's financials and look at a three-year average of the financials and use both of those figures to orient yourself around answering the question, how much money am I going to make as the practice owner? Okay. Um, if to get very specific, last year's financials would be look at last year's collections, look at last year's expenses, and try to project how much money you're going to make as the owner. And if you need to, go back to episode seven where we talked about quantitative analysis and we backed out some of the doctor-specific expenses to get true net income. And once you do that, you'll be able to see how much money is left over for you as the practice owner if you and the seller were just to swap places. And if you did everything exactly the way the seller did, you know, what, how much money would you have made last year? Then do the same thing for a three-year average. Average collections over the last three years. Average employee, lab, dental supply, rent expenses over the last three years. Get a sense of the true net income uh, to try to get oriented around some likely probabilities. Okay? So point number one, past performance is your best bet to try to predict future performance. Point number two is to make sure to project on your income. Try to project how much money you're going to make based on the things you know to be true about you as a practice owner. Okay, the two main differences between you and a seller tend to be production mix and whether or not you own or rent the building. Those expenses and, and revenue and expenses figures tend to be different just based on the fact that there are different owners in there. Now, the production mix, that is the trickiest part because it's unknown. Right? How aggressive is the seller versus conservative you and vice versa? Um, you know, how likely wa was a patient to accept treatment planning from a seller based on relationship and uh, seller sales skills versus you as a brand new owner? Uh, those are things that no one can know. And so you got to take your best guess, okay? Um, Use some, use some basic knowledge to know where major dollars will or won't be, right? So if a seller is doing something that you won't do, Invisalign or implants, and, and you know that, look at the production mix, back out how much money the seller made from doing ortho in the practice that you don't do, and project accordingly. Simple enough, okay? Um, 
on treatment planning yeah you got to use some assumptions uh, but again use a few guesses and do a sensitivity analysis now let's talk about the building though because the if you rent the building a lot of buyers will just assume well i'm just going to take over the lease my rent will be the same as the sellers that can be true it can be a dangerous assumption though rent can and often does move when a buyer buys from a seller um, and the reason is a lot of times the landlord has been thrilled and happy with this seller and has perhaps gotten complacent as a landlord hasn't raised rent to market levels and sees a buyer coming in as a chance to get rent up to what they consider to be market value. And, and there are, and I hate to say this, but there are a few unscrupulous landlords out there that I've seen that um, see a captured buyer as a chance to really turn the screws and raise rent above and beyond what market value may, uh, may support. Uh, so just be aware of that. Try to get a sense of where rent will fall if you're going to rent. And then if you are going to buy the building, that's an easy one because you'll know about how much the building is going to sell for. And you can get a true cost of what that building loan is going to cost you. Now, if you have tenants, if you're about to become a landlord, you're buying the building that includes other parties, then yeah, that becomes a little more difficult because you have to make some uh, additional assumptions. But again, do a sensitivity analysis. If you lose a tenant, if, um, uh, you know, if, if you lose multiple tenants, what, what does the rent look like? Can you support it? Um, all of these things will change your EBITDA number. You remember that earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization might make it better. It might make it worse. You need to adjust the numbers for your situation. Okay. So point number two, make sure you do a cash flow projection, not based on what some broker says that you'll probably do, but based on what you think you'll do and use some basic knowledge around the building and production mix, especially to be able to get to a reasonable approximation of what your income might look like. Now, nothing compares to watching this process in action. Um, so what I want you to do is go out to my course, Practice Purchase Blueprint, where I take people through the process of projecting income. Um, you'll get to watch me calculate projected income on several different practices using lots of different assumptions. And you can try it for yourself with the tools you get for free with the course. Uh, just go to www.practicepurchaseblueprint.com. You can uh, try some free modules. You can watch a trailer to see what it looks like. And if that is something you're interested in, use the code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, PODCAST, to get $100 off the purchase price of the course. Okay, so we've talked about points number one and two. We're going to talk about point number three. If you remember, point number three is that with all of this projecting that you're going to be doing and numbers and spreadsheets and, the th and all of the above, you're going to be wrong. Just come to grips with the fact that it's impossible to know how much money you're going to make because you're almost certainly going to be wrong. This analysis that you're doing is a set of assumptions piled on top of other assumptions, right? So <laughs> think about a stack of cards if any stack in there is a little bit off, the whole thing comes tumbling down. And that scares some buyers. I don't think that it should scare you. I think you need to be realistic about the fact that you don't know exactly how much money you're going to make, but you can get a sense of how much money is reasonable to expect in a range of figures that you can 
feel like you're comfortable projecting. Um, all of this is, think about what's inside and outside your control, right? All of the things we've talked about so far are relatively related to the practice. Um, the staffing, um, production mix, case acceptance, all of these things are more or less within your control as a practice owner, right? Or at least they are somehow influenced by you. But there are a lot of things that are outside your control that you simply don't know, right? Um, insurance companies, totally outside your control. You have no ability to influence what insurance companies do. Uh, the economy. There may be a large employer in your area that adds jobs or takes jobs away. Um, innovation can affect your practice. I mean, you think about how or uh, panicked in, uh, this is 20, end of 2019, early 2020, Smiles Direct Club is sending a lot of orthodontists into a panic, right? Um, so innovation can absolutely upend uh, the projections that you're making. Uh, but things aren't always negative. Things outside of control, uh, uh, Kanye West might put a new blog post or uh, Instagram post out talking about the effects of great teeth and how amazing it is to have uh, a beautiful smile. I, I don't know. There are things outside of The point is there are things outside of your control that you simply don't know. So when you do your assumptions, know that you're probably going to be wrong. But, and this is the last point, point number four, the way to overcome that is to use a margin of safety in your numbers. Okay, what a margin of safety is, is just instead of trying to project your exact income, try to get a sense of a range of where you're likely to fall. So if you're worried about the attrition rate of your uh, uh, purchase, try to get a sense of, well, what would the numbers look like if I lost 5% of my patients? What if I lost 10% of my patients? How do my numbers look? And you can project that. That's relatively easy. You would, your income would go down by a, a commensurate amount, and most of your expenses would just stay the same, but your lab fees and dental supplies would probably go down. There's a few other expenses that may go down as well. And you can project that. So speaking of attrition rate, the number one question I get from clients as I'm projecting income is, hey, Brian, what is the average attrition rate for these purchases? And I'd ask you, before I, I give you the answer, think in your head of what you think the average attrition rate is. How many patients don't come back to the practice after ownership changes hands? Right, and this is a natural fear point. Um, man, I'm, I'm scared nobody's going to show up. Um, if you have that fear, good for you. <laughs> that means you're a, a thinking and cogent dentist. You should. Uh, this is a big purchase and uh, you need to have a healthy amount of fear. But, and you'll be surprised to know this actually, and this isn't a uh, scientifically backed study, but uh, among clients I talk to who three months after the practice, six months after the purchase, 12 months after the purchase, the average attrition rate is actually a negative number. My average client that I work with actually sees patient average number of patients and patient uh, attrition rates in the negatives, meaning they see more patients, they see more collections. So um, the average rate, by the way, is somewhere between uh, 2 and 3% of an increase in practice collections. And I think that can be attributed to a number of different factors. Um, you have a new buyer that is in and is very positive. They're more excited. They're more energetic. They're more willing to try new advertising methods. Uh, and so I think the a healthy thing to do as you're projecting your income is to have a margin of safety, look at your numbers with 5% attrition, look at the numbers with 10% attrition, and then 
be realistic. Give yourself a 5% bump. See what that looks like too. And try to get excited about that. But look at the worst case scenario. If you can live with, and I think a reasonable worst case scenario in most transitions would be a 10% drop in collections. If you can look at your numbers and you can take a look at that 10% drop and you can look at your projected income and say, yeah, I wouldn't like that, but I can survive on that. Then you're in good shape. Then you should buy the practice. So to recap, number one, past performance is your best predictor of future income. Project on your income, even though point number three is you'll be wrong, but the way to overcome the sure fact that you're wrong is to give yourself a margin of safety so that you can have some confidence if things don't go well. Okay. If you have any additional thoughts, suggestions, questions on this topic, please email me directly, brian at brianhanks.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at brianhanks, like tomhanks.com. Next episode is number 11, where we're going to talk about when to submit a letter of intent. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Practice Purchased Podcast. For more information about Brian's best-selling book, How to Buy a Dental Practice, or about the Practice Purchase Blueprint course, visit brianhanks.com.